Welcome to Gnostic Insights. My name is Dr. Sid Ropp, and I'm your host. Welcome back to Gnostic Insights. I'm glad so many of you are listening to the Gnostic Insights podcast on a regular basis. If you're new to Gnostic Insights, you might want to go back and start from the very beginning. There are almost 80 episodes now. And if you go to the GnosticInsights.com website, there is a tab on the homepage called Gnostic Primer. And that has the first eight episodes, which go through the basic Gnostic concepts. Then all these other 60 episodes since then are implications or explanations of what is written in the tripartite tractate of the Nag Hammadi. I'm going to be reading from the tripartite tractate quite a bit. Stick with me. It'll all make sense by the time we reach the end of the episode. This week's topic may be difficult. My brother noticed that when I was preparing for the talk I gave to uh, Eon Bites Astronosis Conference a few months ago, that I changed one of my original diagrams that appears in the Gnostic Gospel Illuminated book. I changed the diagram called the Final Economy to place the elect above the eons of the fullness. And uh, Bill suggested that I explain myself because the original diagram shows the fullness proceeding directly out of the Son and Father. So how can something now come between the eons and the Son? And if something does come between the Father and the fullness, then why is it labeled the third order of powers? How could the third seemingly come before the second order of powers? These are very good questions. And they caused me to carefully review the tripartite tractate all week in search of the answer. I admit to some confusion on my part in the labeling. What I didn't fully realize at the time of the original diagram was that the entities known as the totalities is the same as what I call the all in my book. I think I get so excited about the generation of the eons that I skip right over the function of the all. You see, it turns out that the all wasn't just a step in the process of generating the eons. It's an ongoing station in the function of Gnostic cosmogony. Furthermore, the elect is part of the all, and that's what I'm going to try to explain today. This week, we're going to look at the scriptures from the Tripartite Tractate concerning the All and the Third Order of Powers, and what any of this has to do with us, with you and me. Now, according to my book, which is called the Gnostic Gospel Illuminated, which, of course, you can purchase 
at the GnosticInsights.com website or on Amazon. Quote from my own book, The Father loved and admired the Son, and the Son loved and admired the Father. These two were well pleased with themselves, and they gave praise and glory to one another. Now we will soon learn that this exchange of praise and glory is the model for all subsequent generation of emanations, or what we would call the conception of babies. I hesitate to call it aeonic sex, because we associate sex with bodily activity, right, and self-serving pleasure, and this generation of eons far predates that. But conception works because we understand the word conceiving to mean either having a thought or making a baby. So the idea of combining with another entity to produce offspring actually comes from this first exchange of praise and glory between the Father and Son. Quoting again from the Gnostic Gospel Illuminated, And yet, although he began as the singular manifestation of the Father, the moment the Son was formed, he was no longer alone. For not only the Son, but the All arose at once. The All immediately appeared as the offspring of the Son, because the Son could not help himself from bringing others into existence, even as he himself was brought into existence by the Father. The Son and the Father are one, and the Father's creative spirit flows through the Son. With the birth of the All, the Son became a Father. The All is called the Second Glory, the Joy of the Lord, and the Preexistent Church. End quote. So, as so often happens when I'm contemplating the tripartite tractate, I find that I must have known this all along because I wrote it down there in my book. The Gnostic Gospel Illuminated goes on to say that, quote, the all is concurrently one and many, a selfless diversity giving glory to the Father with a single song of praise. The all glorified their Father with one voice, for only in the totality of their union could they reflect and exalt the Father's greatness. By now, if you've been following Gnostic Insights for a while, you know that when we say selfless, we mean that no ego was involved. Because at this point in the Gnostic creation myth, the totalities of the all were so perfectly in sync with each other and with the Son, their Father, that they had no personal sense of identity. We call that personal sense of identity the ego. At this point in creation, there were no egos, no personal identities, no self-awareness. And this is how the all sang a single song of praise in perfect unison. Here are some other words for the all, which I found in my careful combing through of the tripartite tractate this week. The all is also known as the totalities, the second glory, the joy of the Lord, the eons of the eons, the holy imperishable spirits, the essence of the Son upon whom the Son rests, the eons of the Father, 
the pleroma of the Father, the pre-existent church, that which subsists in the procreation of innumerable eons and existing for the glory of the Son. Those of that place are innumerable and ineffable within the system of the Father. They beget the eons. So now we're going to start reading actually out of the tripartite tractate. Section 3, and by the way, again, when I read out of the tripartite tractate to you, this is the same version that you can find at gnosis.org. You just look up the Nag Hammadi at gnosis.org and then the tripartite tractate, and you'll find the very words that I'm reading. So section three of that is called The Son and the Church. Just as the Father exists in the proper sense, the one before whom there was no one else, and the one apart from whom there is no other unbegotten one, so too the Son exists in the proper sense, the one before whom there was no other, and after whom no other Son exists. Therefore, he is a firstborn and an only son. Firstborn because no one exists before him, and only son because there is no one after him. Furthermore, he has his fruit, that which is unknowable because of its surpassing greatness. Yet he wanted it to be known because of the riches of his sweetness. And he revealed the unexplainable power, and he combined with it the great abundance of his generosity. Not only did the Son exist from the beginning, but the Church, too, existed from the beginning. Now, he who thinks that the discovery that the Son is an only Son opposes this statement about the Church because of the mysterious quality of the matter, it is not so. For just as the Father is a unity and has revealed himself as Father for him alone, so too the Son was found to be a brother to himself alone, in virtue of the fact that he is unbegotten and without beginning. The Son wonders at himself along with the Father, and he gives himself glory and honor and love. Furthermore, he too is the one whom he conceives of as Son, in accordance with the dispositions without beginning and without and thus is the matter something which is fixed, being innumerable and illimitable, his offspring are indivisible. Now, that offspring, that's called the all. And in my books, you know, I diagram the sun as this uh, hazy cloud emerging out of the inky darkness that I use to represent the Father or consciousness itself. Then the thought emerges from that ground state of consciousness, and that is the Son. And he's got a kind of amorphous, cloudy appearance. But then, when the all begins to differentiate from the Son, it begins to form like rays of light coming off of the central star that is the sun. Those which exist, quoting again from the tripartite, those which exist have come forth from the sun and the father 
like kisses because of the multitude of some who kiss one another with a good insatiable thought, the kiss being a unity, although it involves many kisses. That's a kind of a, a funny metaphor to use here. <laughs> but I think what the writer is saying is that the father and son, in their admiration and love for one another, kiss each other, so to speak. And it's those kisses which form their emanation, which form the all. So you still have the original father and the son, and in their exchange of love, they're kissing each other. And those kisses are multiple, lots of them. And it is these kisses which become the all. Or, at this point, it is also called the church. This is to say, quoting, It is the church consisting of many men that existed before the eons, which is called, in the proper sense, the eons of the eons. This is the nature of the holy imperishable spirits upon which the sun rests, since it is his essence, just as the father rests upon the sun. It's also funny that the writer called these eons of the eons men. So the term men doesn't only describe humans, second order of powers in their material sense down here on earth. The concept of men predates. So now, carrying on in the tripartite, going into section four, called the Aeonic Emanations. The church exists in the dispositions and properties in which the Father and the Son exists, as I have said from the start. Therefore, it subsists in the procreations of innumerable eons. Also, in an uncountable way, they too beget by the properties and dispositions in which the church exists, that is, the all. For these comprise its association, which they form toward one another, and toward those who have come forth from them toward the sun, for whose glory they exist. Therefore, it is not possible for minds to conceive of him. He was the perfection of that place. Nor can speech express them, for they are ineffable and unnameable and inconceivable. They alone have the ability to name themselves and to conceive of themselves, for they have not been rooted in these places. Those of that place are ineffable and innumerable in the system which is both the manner and the size, the joy, the gladness of the unbegotten, the unnamed, the unnameable, the inconceivable, invisible, incomprehensible one. It is the fullness of paternity so that his abundance is a begetting of the eons of the eons. They were forever in thought, for the Father was like a thought and a place for them. Me speaking now, when it said they were not rooted in this place, in any place, the all isn't rooted in any place. It exists in that multitude of kisses exchanged directly between the Father and the Son. 
And it is those kisses that is the abundance of begetting of these first eons of the eons. They were forever in thought, for the Father was a thought and a place for them, see? So their root is in the Father, not in their own, quote, place. When their generations had been established, the one who is completely in control wished to lay hold of and to bring forth that which was deficient in the, and then it's missing some words, and he brought forth those missing some words, him. I think what it means to say, when their generations had been established, the one who is completely in control, and that would be the father, wished to lay hold of and to bring forth that which was deficient in the universe or in the creation, although this is way before actual creation of our universe. So this stage is not to be confused with the imitation universe that is created by the Demiurge later. And he brought forth those missing words again, I would say probably eons of eons from within him. But carrying on now, quoting, But since he is as he is, he is a spring which is not diminished by the water which abundantly flows from it. While they were in the Father's thought, that is, in the hidden depth, the depth knew them, but they were unable to know the depth in which they were. Nor was it possible for them to know themselves, nor for them to know anything else. That is, they were with the Father, they did not exist for themselves. Rather, they had only existence in the manner of a seed, so that it has been discovered that they existed like a fetus. Like the word, he begot them, subsisting spermatically, and the ones whom he was to beget had not yet come into being from him. So, you see, this all coexists in the manner of the Father and the Son exchanging kisses. So they're rooted in the Father and the Son in a kind of emotion that exists between them. They are not rooted in their own place. And they have not yet come into being out of the Father and the Son's kisses. So once again, a metaphor for sex, they exist like a fetus or they exist like sperm within the bodies of these originating consciousnesses of the Father and the Son. And so they don't know themselves in the same way that sperm doesn't know itself or that an egg doesn't yet know itself as long as it is existing within the body of the mother. Carrying on. The one who first thought of them, the Father, not only so that they might exist for him, but also that they might exist for themselves as well. That they might then exist in his thought as mental substance, and that they might exist for themselves too. The father sowed a thought like a spermatic seed. Now, I'm jumping in. This thought that the father is now sowing in them like a spermatic seed, it is self-identity. It is so they can exist for themselves. And we think of that self-identity as the word ego. 
but there's no negativity associated with the word ego. It's merely self-awareness. Quoting again from the Tripartite, Now, in order that they might know what exists for them, he graciously granted the initial form. Well, in order that they might recognize who is the Father, who exists for them, he gave them the name Father by means of a voice proclaiming to them that what exists, exists through that name, Father, which they have by virtue of the fact that they came into being because of the exaltation which has escaped their notice is in the name. And so that exaltation which is in the name, that is the Father and the Son, exchanging those kisses and creating this issuance from between them. And that is the exaltation. Woohoo! <laughs> it's like, uh, well, it's like having sex. <laughs> when it feels real good, there's an exaltation. And the name for that exaltation for the all is the Father. The tripartite goes on to say that the infant, well, in the form of a fetus, has enough for itself before ever seeing the one who sowed it. Therefore, they had the sole task of searching for him, realizing that he exists, ever wishing to find out what exists. Since, however, the perfect father is good, just as he did not hear them at all so that they would exist only in his thought, but rather granted that they too might come into being so also will he give them grace to know what exists, that is, the one who knows himself eternally. And that being, of course, the Father. Carrying on. Form to know what exists, just as people are begotten in this place. When they are born, they are in the light, so that they see those who have begotten them. And I think now when he says, the writer says, when they are born, he's talking about us humans. And they are born out of the mother, and when they come into the light there, as soon as they have exited the mother's body, they see the mother, they see the midwife, they see the father, those who have begotten them. And now, suddenly it becomes clear. Again, from the tripartite, the father brought forth everything, like a little child, like a drop from a spring, like a blossom from a vine, like a flower, like a planting, in need of gaining nourishment and growth and faultlessness. He withheld it for a time. He who had thought of it from the very beginning, possessed it from the very beginning and saw it, but he closed it off to those who first came from him. Again, that being the all. Quote, he did this not out of envy, but in order that the eons might not receive their faultlessness from the very beginning and might not exalt themselves to the glory, to the Father, and might think that from themselves alone they had done this. But just as he wished to grant that they might come into being, so too, in order that they might come into being as faultless ones when he wished, he gave them the perfect idea of beneficence toward them. And beneficence means loving care, right? What he gave to them wasn't knowledge of the entire originating consciousness. 
what he gave to them was knowledge that they were loved and that they were cared for. That is what he gave for them. Again, quote, The one whom he raised up as a light for those who came from himself, the one from whom they take their name, he is the Son, S-O-N, who is full, complete, and faultless. He brought them forth mingled with what came forth from him, by which each one can receive him for himself, though such was not his greatness before he was received by it. Rather, he exists by himself. That is the Son. Quote, As for the parts in which he exists in his own manner and form and greatness, it is possible for them to see him and speak about that which they know of him, that is the Son, since they wear him while he wears them, because it is possible for them to comprehend him. He, however, as he is, is incomparable. So it is saying that the all coexists where the sun exists, and it is possible for them to know the sun, although they can't know the originating father, other than that they are loved by someone called the father. But they are able to recognize the sun because they are coexistent in the place of the sun there. It goes on to say, in order that the father might receive honor from each one and reveal himself, even in his ineffability, hidden and invisible, they marvel at him mentally. Therefore, the greatness of his loftiness consists in the fact that they speak about him and see him. He becomes manifest so that he may be sung about because of the abundance of his sweetness. And that now is the son being referred to as the father. It gets a little confusing because once the son gave birth to the all, he now became a father. Carrying on. Just as the admirations of the silences are eternal generations, and by the way, the admirations of the silences, the silences then is another word for the eons of the eons or the totalities because they have no self-awareness. They're not able to speak for themselves. So they're also called the silences. Yet, they are what's called eternal generations of mental offspring. So the silences do begin to have admirations for the Father, the Son, and for each other. And out of that, they beget eternal generations of mental offsprings. So, too, the dispositions of the word are spiritual emanations. Okay, these spiritual emanations are what we have been calling the eons of the fullness. Now we're coming into that place where we're talking about the eons, and I'm always talking about the eons of the fullness. So the eons of the fullness are the emanations of these silences, these totalities, of the all who exist within the Father and the Son, who coexist with the Son. It says, there's no need for voice and spirit, mind and word, because there's no need to work at that which they desire to do, because they are beings of the thought. Quote, but on the pattern by which he was existing, so are those who have come forth from him, 
begetting everything which they desire. So the totalities beget everything they desire. And their children, that begetting, these emanations, are the eons of the fullness of God. And that is a place, that is established as a place for them. The pleroma of the fullness of the eons of the eons. Okay? So the eons of the eons do not have a place. The totalities of the all are a kind of a, a process, like kissing, it said. So they are more of a, a power, a force. They're not discrete entities. Then they will begin to name themselves and conceive of themselves. And once they do that, then they generate the pleroma of the fullness of God. And the pleroma of the fullness of God exists upon a pattern, it says, that came out of the all. Everything in our universe, everything that's coming down the pipe, it all comes from the Father and through the Son. So these patterns of organization, this thought of our future universe, this all pre-exists in the good thought of the Father and the Son. They admire each other, they exchange these kisses, and out of this exchange of admiration and love, they generate the totalities of the all, which coexist right alongside the sun, but they have no self-identity, no self-awareness. They exist in the manner of a baby inside the womb. But then once they are born, they give birth to names, stations, places, duties, eons, a pattern. And that pattern is the hierarchy of the fullness of God. I can see we're already a half hour in, so I better stop now for this week. But there's more to come. So stay tuned for next week when we carry on to talk about now how it is that the eons generated their own personalities and their own emanations and how they continue to generate more and more and more eons out of their admirations and love for each other. Again, a kind of aeonic sex, if you will. But we still haven't answered my brother's original question, which is, well, still, what are the third order of powers and how did they get up there in my diagram right next to the Christ? How did they jump over the second order of powers? So there's plenty more to be said about the subject. So tune in next week when we'll talk about the eons of the fullness of God, the fall of one of those eons of God, and then the demiurge and the redemption and where the third order of powers comes into all of this. If you have any questions for me from prior episodes or just from the whole notion of the Gnostic cosmology, go ahead and send them to me. I've disabled comments on this podcast because I don't want people arguing with me about whether or not there should be such a thing as Gnosticism. We know that Gnostic Christianity contains within it some divergences from what has become 
conventional Christianity, and mainly that is what I'm trying to avoid. I don't want to argue about the nature of the Creator God, for example, or the nature of universal salvation. But I will answer questions one-on-one with you. I just don't want any trolls. So the way you contact me is through the Contact Me form there at the GnosticInsights.com website, and you can send me a message that way, and I will respond. So until next week, God bless you, and remember, onward and upward.